From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's get, though, to the labor story because it has been pervasive this year. Hollywood studios and actors are scheduled to resume contract negotiations today. That follows the end of the UAW, the United Auto Workers, six-week strike that um, cost the big three automakers supposedly $2.9 billion, but got huge gains um, for the workers. Um, At least I think they're huge. You know, 25% is the headline figure. Um, that UAWs are going to be getting from uh, GM, Ford, and Stellantis. Um, Really record-breaking wage hikes thanks to uh, the strikes and the new leadership. Let's talk about the state of labor uh, with the former U.S. Labor Secretary Robert Reich, currently University of California at Berkeley professor. It's great to get you on the program. Thanks so much for your time, Professor. What do you make, first of all, of the the gains we've seen out of the UAW, out of the most recent... uh, Uh, negotiations with GM, Ford, and Stellantis. Uh, Well, Matt, this uh, agreement has not been ratified by members yet, but it is groundbreaking, uh, if not earth-shattering. And I say that because it marks uh, a really substantial increase, not only in wages, cost of living adjustments, uh, and uh, a lot of other things that, well, if you would ask me six months ago, I would say very unlikely that it becomes part of the new bargain. Uh, And yet there it is. And it's the big three, uh, Stellantis, GM. Ford. Uh, I would expect, and we can get into this if you want, uh, that very, very soon we are going to see the UAW uh, targets Tesla and also the uh, U.S. divisions of some of the foreign automakers like Honda, Toyota, and BMW. Yeah, well, I mean, how, how do you think they're going to be um, seen by workers in those shops in the Carolinas, in uh, California, in Tennessee? Are they going to want the same uh, kind of gains and go to the union for help? Or do you think those companies are going to have to give workers raises in order to keep the unions out? Well, what we've seen historically is that when unions make some progress in an industry, the non-unionized shops in that industry do tend to want to make defensive moves, that is, provide wage increases and benefit increases to keep the unions out. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but undoubtedly the pressure is going to be increasing on Tesla and Honda, Toyota and BMW in the United States. Now, um, when it comes to productivity, which is an issue in the United States, it's certainly an issue here in Canada. We talked actually with the head of the union that just represented the uh, the new automaker deals here in Canada today, uh, who had a conversation with our head central banker uh, about, in in her opinion, um, the economic realities of productivity and how it's measured today, perhaps not fully recognizing the story of 
the worker. And I know you've been thinking about that as well in recent months. What, what more can you tell us about your assessment on that front? Well, generally speaking, uh, just to stand back from the tumult right now, uh, productivity has been increasing. I think that a lot of the measures we have used uh, of productivity traditionally don't quite work in the Internet age uh, with a lot of the technology that workers surround themselves with. I don't think there's any question that workers, whether we're talking about auto workers or production workers generally, are substantially more productive than they were, say, 10 years ago. Uh, and yet there are Wages have not really kept up. And that statement could be not only the last 10 years uh, in terms of relevance, but really the last 40 years. If you look at production workers and hourly workers generally, non-supervisory workers, they have uh, experienced relatively stagnant wages adjusted for inflation. I think that that has generated a kind of a, a very strong built-up desire on the part of workers and really on the part of the public in general uh, to increase the wages of these people. And uh, we see uh, the wages have increased substantially, uh, well, even even post-pandemic. There's been a, an increase, uh, if you say, if you look at uh, inflation-adjusted wages, uh, but nowhere near what it would be had wages kept up with productivity gains over the last 10, 30, 40 years. Now, against that backdrop, and at a time when we are seeing uh, a fresh storyline around uh, workers getting their fair share, one of the other big narratives this year, which you've commented on as well, is this AI transition. Uh, we have new labor deals, yes, but what does this uh, AI story mean uh, in terms of how many employees there are at businesses and how this conversation of productivity and, and, and worker pay is going to come up in a, uh, a world dominated by artificial intelligence? Well, if I, I'm not a futurologist, uh, but Matt, but if we look at uh, the trends, the present trends, uh, and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about everything from software to algorithms to new kinds of labor-saving devices, all the way through what AI seems to promise, uh, there is going to be a, a big issue, not just for uh, non-supervisory workers, hourly workers, but also for all professionals uh, across the board uh, in terms of their bargaining leverage. They're going to lose bargaining leverage. Uh, most of us, and I included myself, uh, professors, uh, everybody who are, is part of the knowledge economy, uh, we are going to be uh, replicated uh, and substitutable by artificial intelligence. Not immediately, but certainly that looks like it is in the cards. AI is not staying static. AI is getting better and better. Uh, and yet human beings... Uh, human brains uh, with regard to the professional class are, are not necessarily keeping up. Uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, say, 20 years from now, most of us were either working part-time or dependent on a uni universal basic income uh, or working in ways that uh, really made us vulnerable to kind of a spot auction market in which our worth, what we actually were earning at any given time, uh, was dependent on the value that we added at that moment. Uh, and that, in turn, depended on artificial intelligence. Uh, in other words, we could find ourselves, most of us, working for what might be considered to be artificial intelligence. 
great to get uh, your insight. Really appreciate you joining us, and I hope we can get you back. Uh, Robert Reich there, former U.S. Labor Secretary right now. He's a professor at Berkeley. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.